Hey guys, it's Woj, and I hope you're all staying home and staying safe. And although we don't have any games to watch right now, we still got plenty of great podcasts to listen to. One of my favorites, the SVP pod with Scott Van Pelt on his latest episode. Scott's joined by his old partner in crime, Ryan Rossillo, and they tell some great stories about the radio days and what they've been up to here in the quarantine. You can find the SVP pod wherever you get your podcast. Hey guys, when it comes to insurance, State Farm has all the makings of a top-tier player. First, they make it look easy. Manage your coverage, pay your bill, and even file a claim from the palm of your hand with the State Farm mobile app, which was just awarded Best Insurance mobile app for 2019. And like a great teammate, they know your tendencies. State Farm agents are local, so they'll help you choose your coverage that fits your needs. State Farm is always there to coach you through with the answers you need and when you need them. When you want the real deal, go with State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. As we get ready for ESPN's 10-part series, The Last Dance on Michael Jordan's final team in Chicago, two of their nemesis from that decade, the great Patrick Ewing, the Hall of Fame center, and Jeff Van Gundy, the former Knicks coach, talk about a decade of competing against Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Somebody said, what's your most joyous memory of Michael Jordan? I'm saying, joy? What are you talking about, joy? <laughs> Some of those great Nick Bulls playoff series. The thing that, to this day, bothers me. We went to Chicago for game three of that series. They beat us by 20 with Jordan shooting three for 18. That was our chance. And in that game, we weren't ready. I think some stories you've never heard from that decade. So when Jeff took over and we went back to the, the way that we were all used to playing, it was like, you know, Moses part in the Red Sea. A really great visit with Patrick Ewing and Jeff Van Gundy. Stay with us. Hey, everyone. Welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. I think this is going to be a fun one. Patrick Ewing, the coach of the Georgetown Hoyas, Jeff Van Gundy, obviously the former head coach of the Houston Rockets, the Knicks, and, and, and obviously an ESPN analyst now. And, you know, a little walk through the 1990s and the Bulls-Knicks rivalry, what it was like for these guys to compete against that team sort of on the cusp here of, of ESPN's Last Dance uh, documentary, 10-part series that starts on Sunday. And all I could think about, Patrick, when we were talking about doing this and, and you guys were kind enough, was that look on your face when they were running the promos <laughs> and they're showing everybody sit, in the, sit down in their seat for the interview, you, Riley, Adam Silver, Barack Obama. But you had that look on your face, Patrick, that looked like – it's kind of that look you had when you sat down for, like, those Villanova-Georgetown <laughs> retrospectives, like, all right, I'll do this, but I've got to walk back through, you know, somebody else's uh, story. But but right. thanks for doing this, both of you guys. I, I want to start with you, Patrick. And when you think of that time, uh, and, and I think it's – you competed against the Bulls in the late 80s, and then – it felt like to me from the day Pat Riley got hired and you trade for the X-Man, Xavier McDaniel, you draft Greg Anthony, Anthony Mason comes in. 
is that a time you mark when that rivalry really changed? It became a rivalry for the Knicks and Bulls, Pat? Oh, definitely. When when uh, the Knicks hired Ernie Grenfell and Dave Checkets, I thought, I believe that stability came with the came to the franchise. Before that, it was a revolving door of coaches, and those guys brought the stability the stability that we needed. Then they started added pieces, uh, the X, the Oak, you know, uh, Maze, all those guys that we added to start to make us more of a, a competitive series versus those guys. I mean, Jeff, that first practice, and I guess it was 90, fall of 91, with that new team, kind of a member, guys going at it, fights. What what do you remember about that first day when he said, okay, this is a different coach, uh, this is a different roster, we're coming back with a real different team to go compete against Chicago and and, and everybody else who was still uh, elite at that time? Yeah, well, we – I still remember we went to Charleston, South Carolina, University of Charleston. And back then you didn't have guys come in way before training camp. It was like you came in, you took your physicals. Coach Riley had a running test you had to pass. And then we flew down. And so we had our first meeting. And our first drill at that training camp, I'll never forget, was a blockout rebounding drill. (laughs) And I was down with the guards. It was Dick Carter and I were with the guards at the other end. And Pat and Paul Silas were with the bigs. And the guards were, you know, they were, they were working, but it wasn't like full bore contact. But I could hear at the other end, like, these Brahma Bulls just <laughs> running into each other. And all of a sudden, it was X and Mason going around the gym ready to swing. And uh, uh, it was a different level of physicality and a completely different level of intensity due to the roster and due to the intensity Coach Riley brought. What do you remember of that practice, Patrick? Uh, you know, as you see, I'm, I'm, I'm here smiling because I remember, you know, those, those, those two guys just banging, just banging, banging. Everybody wanted to make sure nobody backed up. You know, everybody, you know, all the testosterone was flowing. So those two guys wanted to make sure that they, they staked their claim. Uh, and at first we tried to break it up, but then we just said, you know what, let them go. <laughs> let them go. Fortunately, no one got hurt. Fortunately, <laughs> no punches landed. But uh, I thought, I, you know, I believe that just like I just said, it, the intensity was, was has definitely changed uh, our mindset about how we're going to go go to war because that's what Pat always talk about. You know, I have to have the right mindset when we're going into war. Everything changed. What at that time, when you thought about competing with Chicago and beating them, did, did it, as competitors, did they consume your thoughts? Like wh- whoever you were playing, whatever part of the season it was, was there always one eye on the Bulls because inevitably – you knew you had to go through that team. So for me, not in 92, because 91-92 was different. We were just trying to start to become the type of championship caliber team we ended up being. Uh, But that first year, we actually lost our first two games at Orlando and at Miami, I believe. And, you know, we weren't in that realm of championship level play. But when we got past Detroit in the first round that year in five games. We won the fifth game at home, 
we won at Chicago in game one, I thought that was the win that started us thinking in a different manner as far as we knew we could become really, really good. Yeah, you know, when you go into the season, you're not thinking about, well, we have to do this to beat the Bulls. You know, we were just thinking about, you know, competing against everybody and doing the best we can against everybody to, to set ourselves up to try to get a championship. And, you know, we had, we had a lot of battles. Um, Detroit was, was the bad boys, and we felt that we were just as physical as they were, just as uh, big and, uh, and strong as they were. So uh, all the things that they were doing, it didn't bother us like it did other teams. So we, you know, fought our way through. Um, but, you know, I, I agree with everything that Jeff just said. You know, it was just the start. You had been swept the year before by the Bulls. It was a best of five. You got swept in three. And now you, you had this run here where you're going to play them. This was 92, 92, 93, 94. You played them three straight years. What do you remember? You, you beat the Pistons, and now you go in to that series with the Bulls. What do you guys remember about maybe establishing against them or just something that they had started to realize about how you were going to play them, how physical you were going to be, and and how they reacted to that. They knew that we were going to be physical just because that was just our style of play. We were a, a, a big physical team. That's, that was our mindset. That was our, our persona, per se. Um, so every time we played them or anybody, you know, we were physical. We, we, we played to our strength, which is, you know, br- big bruising basketball. So everything was, was extremely physical. And when X came to the team, we came even more physical because he had a, a, a huge dislike for Scotty. Um, so every time he played Scotty, he wanted to, to punk him. He wanted to, to be ex- extremely physical with him. And he tried to do that. Uh, Michael, uh, you know, I mean, he, he, he's Michael. He, he played harder. He played, you know, extremely well. He distributed, he scored, um, and they were able to overcome us. But the, the funny thing is when you're in it, you can't think about, you know, Michael Jordan or Scotty or Horace. You know, you can't think that, oh, they're good or whatever. Our goal in my mindset was, you know, they were in our way and we had to try to beat them. You know, I believed in my guys. I believed in my team. And, you know, uh, I, I remember getting a lot of criticism because I kept saying that we are a good team and we had opportunities to win. Um, but that's the mindset you got to be in. If you go in there humble, you will never, you'll never succeed. So you have to believe in yourself and you have to believe in the guys that you're with. That's, and that's the mindset that I, myself and my team, and I know Jeff can speak more on that. that, that that's the mindset that we, we, came, we came with. We did have a strong belief, and we knew that we were a hard play and well-prepared team. And so no matter if we played home or road, uh, we felt we had a great chance to win. And I, I agree with Patrick. X was a huge uh, difference. He had a okay regular season, but in the playoffs, uh, particularly in that series, he showed what he really was all about. Uh, that guy was not as athletic as he once was, but there was no better competitor in the game. He he was a terrific teammate, competitor, and frankly, it was one of the things that, even though we were great in 93 
and 94 and on through, losing him to the Celtics to me was an absolute crusher when he left during free agency after we lost to the Bulls. The X-Man was from uh, – he was a little more toward the end of his career at that point. He went to Boston. When you think of him, Patrick, and what he brought in the door, you said he didn't like Scotty. What did he not like about Scotty? That he was a finesse uh, player in his it, mind? It, it's not that he just – he didn't like him as a person. You know, he was the person that was that – they he was the person – they were yeah. the team that stood in our way. So everybody that we played, and especially the person that was playing in his position – you know, especially back then, it's not like now everybody's all friends. You know, you have a you have a huge uh, dislike for them. You know, Michael and I, we I've been knowing Michael since I was a, a senior in high school, and you know, but when we played, it, it, you know, we we didn't act as friends. Like we're not hugging each other and all that stuff. We're trying to kick each other's butts, and that's the way that X. Uh, every that's how we played. X and I, we were we were friends, you know, in college. I remember trying out for the uh, the uh, Pan Am Games, and he he was trying out as well. And we were on the same team, and he elbowed me in the head. I'm like, X, what the hell? We're on the same team. He's like, get the hell out, get the blank out the way. I'm trying to get the rebound. But that's the type of personality that he is. You know, he just he plays hard. He is uh, a no nonsense guy. And, you know, whoever is in his way, you know, you're in his way. He's going to try to move you by any means necessary. Hey, Woj, remember, like, it was a year before or maybe it was two years before where he and Oakley threw down at the garden. Right. You know, they're in the crowd swinging. I forget how much they got <laughs> for. But, you know, then he comes to us and you put alongside him and uh, Mason. Starks was a nasty hungry guy and Greg Anthony was uh, a great tough competitor so the whole roster the whole mentality had changed over the course of that summer it was really a much different team uh, with a definitive star in Patrick and then a bunch of really good players when you guys think back to that time and the kind of roster you would want to build to beat the Bulls I guess, listen, it was hard, you know, Michael and Scotty together, they were going to be superior at the wings. No matter who you had, they, they, they had the two best, certainly two of the best of all time. When you look back at what was allowed then, the style of play, how you attacked them, was that the right way to play them in retrospect based on what the rules were? And at the time, what you thought it took to, to beat them? Did you guys go about it right looking back? I think so. Yeah. Um, that was our, that was the strength of our team. We were inside our, uh, team. You know, the game is played a lot different now than, than, than it was back then. The centers were a lot more dominant back then than, it, than they are now. Uh, Michael and, and, and Scotty, they were dominant at the wings. And, you know, I was the most dominant player on our team at, at the center position. John played his heart out. He played with a lot of heart and a lot of, you know, courage. He he didn't back down any from Michael. Like we talked about, X X didn't back down, and and Oak Oak was you know Oak was Oak. He is the enforcer. He you know back. He became a better a three point shooter, so he's knocking down shots. He was a fierce guy on, on the on the defensive end. He rebound. Also, Mace. Um, so the way that our team was was built, it's about uh, 
you know, energy effort, pounding the ball inside, spot up, knocking down shots. Uh, John starts coming off pick and roll, the, uh, pick and roll with the guards. So our team, that's the way it was was built. Uh, and I guess like uh, Pat Riley used to say, and to complement my my style. Uh, so yeah, yeah. And for me, I think what was interesting is you have a guy and a coach like Pat Riley who came from the Showtime Lakers and then totally recreated a different identity with the Nick team based on the talent. And when you look back that first year, we had uh, Gerald Wilkins on the wing. And the one thing we were missing throughout the course of, of our time until we got Allen Houston was an ability at the wing position to go just get a shot. You know, it's so hard to play through the post late in games, the amount of contact that they allow the different ways teams can get the ball or prevent the ball from entering the low post. You need a, a wingman to be able to go create your own shot. And when Allen came, he gave us that, but we didn't still have, we had a really good team in 97, but I thought our best team was 93. I thought we were primed, uh, but we just didn't have that shot creator uh, that we needed on the, on the wing. Yeah. And, and what was interesting too, in 90, the first playoff series, and I, I found this from Pat Riley, Phil Jackson was complaining about your physicality and he was complaining early in the series about, well, how physical you were. Here was, here's what Riley said early in that series. He said, I think he's talking about Phil Jackson. I think what he's doing is insulting us, basically. I was part of six championship teams. I've been to the finals 13 times. I know what a championship demeanor is about. The fact that he's whining and whimpering about the officiating is an insult to how hard our guys are playing and how much our guys want to win. And that was an everyday occurrence in a playoff series. Coaches talking to each other about that. I can't remember, guys, the last playoff series in the NBA that two coaches went at it like this in, like, years. That was every day, right? <laughs> yes, it was. You know, I mean, I, it's all gamesmanship. You know, uh, Phil was trying to do his thing to get to the rest through the media, and Pat was coming back. You know, Pat was, you know, sticking up for us, and, you know, he wanted – he knew what our strengths were, and he wanted to make sure that we were able to play to our strength. It wasn't going to be a tight whistle. You know, look, Michael Jordan was great. If you give him everything that he he wants, then you it, it is hard enough to stop. So you know if we're not be if we're not able to play physical against him and, and try to limit the things that he can do, then it, it's going to be an easy series. So Pat wanted to make sure Phil wanted to make sure that you know the refs make sure that it was a tight whistle. So if you if you blow on him, if you touch him, it's going to be a foul. And Pat wanted it the other way. Yeah, except that he wanted Cartwright to be able to get away with <laughs> in the low post. It was two different things. But, you know, also the way the league office has responded is totally different. They used to allow the gamemanship with the officials, and now the fines are – they come right away, and they come every time. And so you're really not allowed to have that type of back and forth about officiating. And I'm not sure it worked or didn't work. But no coach back then was going to allow the other guy to get what they thought was the upper hand. Pat, you mentioned something about, hey, you had this relationship with Michael. You knew him. And you and I did a podcast a few years ago, and I had never heard you tell the story until then. I hadn't realized you and Michael had been on the same recruiting trip, same recruiting weekend 
right. at North Carolina. And actually, you went out in street clothes, right? You were wearing, like, jeans and pants, and you went out and actually got on the floor with Michael then, right? Yes. Yes. I mean, he. everyone who knows him, he's, he's been, he's, he talks trash. He's a trash. <laughs> he's one of the biggest trash talkers you, you ever play against. So even from back then, uh, we were, he had already committed to North Carolina, and I was there on my visit. And he was talking about, you can't beat me, you can't dunk on me. So I was in street clothes. He was in, you know, shorts and tennis shoes. And, you know, I went up and dunked on him, said, now you can shut up and sit down. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, those are the good old days. That 93 series, you guys had Doc Rivers, you had Roe Blackman that season. You have a better record. You play game one and two at the Garden. You're up 2-0. I think that was the Starks baseline dunk, the lefty dunk right on on Michael. I think it was that in, in one of those couple of games. Was that the most vulnerable you ever felt that Chicago team was? Was that the time where you go into that series thinking, we're going to get these guys here? There was a couple of things that happened. Starks is dunk in game two, I believe. We were killing them uh, with the – Starks, uh, Patrick side pick and roll. And on the fly, it was the first team I ever saw do this in the NBA. They started forcing the pick and roll to the baseline. I don't think they had practiced it. I think Johnny Bach, who Pat uh, coached with later with the Wizards, he put it in. But it, they didn't communicate it well in, in this situation where Starks got the running start. And so if you go back and look at the highlight, I believe Jordan is forcing a baseline and Cartwright or whoever's guarding Pat at the time is up on the screen versus dropping back to take away the baseline drive. So Stark got the running start and dunked it. But the thing that to this day bothers me is that was the Atlantic City controversy with Jordan. And when we went to Chicago for game three of that series, Jordan shot three for 18 in game three, but we were ill-prepared to win that game, they beat us by 20 with Jordan getting shooting three for 18. That was our chance. If we had been right and ready that game to snatch that first win, we may well have gone up 3-0. Instead, it's 2-1. We play a much better game four, but Jordan gets 54 or whatever he got. That is exactly what he got. And, yeah, not that I remember. But, <laughs> um, yeah, but we had our chance in game three. And in that game, we weren't ready. Starks got thrown out of that game, got a couple texts. Patrick, you got into it with Stacey King. Uh, you guys turned the ball over 20 times in that game. Yeah, you know, you guys have a much better memory than, than I do. No, I, I have, the... Patrick, I have, notes here. <laughs> I have notes here. Stop it. Jeff remembers every moment of it. Yeah. Well, most of it is all jumbled, but, um, you know, just, just like Jeff said, you know, we, we had an opportunity to, to win game three. We, we, uh, didn't play the, to our, to the best of our ability. I guess maybe we, uh, we exhale instead of just keeping the, the focus, the laser focus that we had in the first two games. And, you know, game four, uh, you know, he, he woke up and even though we played a, a much better game, uh, we just didn't didn't have enough. And Stacey King, you know, he he's one of those guys. When when you're playing with a, a talent that a talented player like as Michael, some people get uh, a lot braver and like talk, <laughs> talk a lot more trash than they normally would. Yeah, and I think too on on that is you mentioned the 20 turnovers, uh, Adrian. 
to, to me, the two things that no matter what playoff loss we had or what playoff series that we lost that we felt like maybe we could have won it, it came down to turnovers and we missed free throws in critical games. And I think Chicago through this whole run, I thought the two things we struggled with the most was scoring because of their uh, length and quickness and speed and our lack of ability to go get our own shot on the perimeter. So that was a, that was hard for us. Their defense was much harder for us to solve. And obviously Jordan, the offense itself wasn't as hard, the triangle itself, but Jordan and then the offensive rebounding opportunities he created because you're always in help situations. To me, those were the things that got us in the end. Guys, Scott's turf builder, triple action, has acquired the secret to building a thicker, greener lawn. In return, they have taken all of the hard work out of the picture to give you more time to do nothing extra. People don't realize that it's easy to get the lawn of their dreams by simply feeding their lawn a few times throughout the year. Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action kills weeds, prevents crabgrass, and feeds to build thick green lawns. With Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action, you can finally get the lawn you've always dreamt of. Scott's Turf Builder Action will give your yard the nourishment it needs to help your weak, thin lawn recover. When you feed with Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action multiple times throughout the year, your grass will be greener, stronger, and more resilient. Pick up a bag today. This is a Scott's yard. Also, Scott's no quibble money back guarantee states, if you're not satisfied, you get your money back. This is a Scott's yard. When Jordan walked away, Patrick, you knew him I think as well as any opponent knew him. Were you shocked when he retired? Did you have any inkling that he was even contemplating walking away? No, I didn't. And, you know, we both represented by David Falk, and neither one of them gave, gave me a heads up. Uh, I, I read about it, heard about it just like everyone else. You know, I was, I was shocked. I was, you know, definitely stunned. You know, this is a, a guy at the height of his career uh, walking away from, you know, a game that he loved. So, you know, I was definitely surprised that he did. When you started the process, like him making that decision and what it meant for you and for the Knicks, was the emotion, wow, hey, the door's opened up, there's an opportunity for us? Or was there as much of a feeling of, I wanted to beat them and I wanted to beat Jordan because because of what it would have meant and what it represented? What, what was your emotion on what it meant going forward? Well, of course, he wasn't even. I wasn't even thinking about that. That you know, he's he's retired, or is he coming back, or or whatever. All I knew is that he, he was not there. Mm-hmm. So you know, you it's business as usual. If you you know naturally, yeah, you want to beat him. I want to beat him. You know, for bragging rights or whatever. But he wasn't there. So you know, you you do the best job you can to try to uh, get yourself and your team focused and ready to try to compete against whoever is there. What about you, Jeff? Yeah, I didn't. I was an assistant at that time, and I never thought about it from the standpoint of it opened up an opportunity because we thought we had an opportunity. We were a 63 win team in '93, if I'm not mistaken, and we felt like we're the best team. And we were disappointed that we didn't finish that series off. 
And so in 94, Coach Riley had the mantra, be the first on the floor and the last off the floor. And so we had the first midnight madness practice ever for an NBA team in Charleston. I don't know if Pat remembers that. We scrimmaged. It was interesting. We scrimmaged. That's all we did. And we kept the old guys against the newer guys. And it was a wipeout, you know. And so um, it was it was very interesting. It was either 93 or 94 we did that. I'm yeah. not sure exactly. But the point is, it's like our mentality was we expected to win. And I don't think, you know, because after that, then Indiana became really good. And so – and Chicago was still really good. I thought yeah. – the year Jordan left, it was the best the triangle was ever run. Um, so I don't think it really changed how we thought as much. But to to say that the door wasn't opened wider would be a misstatement, too. Everybody thought that you had a better chance with him gone. You guys go to the finals. You lose the seven-game series to Houston. You come back. Riles eventually leaves, goes to Miami. Don Nelson's the coach for a short time. And then Jeff takes over as head coach in, let's see, this is uh, 95, 96, 96, Jeff takes over. And Jeff gets a knock on his hotel room door in Philly, and he's going to coach against the Sixers. The debut didn't go as well, Jeff. uh, I think that's an understatement. Right, right. (laughs) That that was an awful Philadelphia team, (laughs) and we got hammered. And I just remember this. Players are players. They get over things quicker. I'm sitting in the third seat behind the bus driver, which I sat there every from the first day I was a Nick coach to the end. And we bust at that time back from Philly. And there was a Philly cheese sandwich sitting right next to me that never got eaten. And we had those 72, what was going to turn out to be the 72 and 10 Bulls coming in the next game. And I think Philly had the worst record in the league that year. Mm-hmm. And I'm like thinking the whole way as I'm watching the film, you are the worst coach who's ever coached an NBA game. How can you lose to Philly? You know, and then how many are they going to beat us by? But you got to remember back then too, we had incredible competitors. You know, Derek Harper was there, Charlie Ward, obviously Pat Oak, even though Oak was hurt at that time when I first took over, Starks, you know, so – we didn't have a great team that year, but we still had a highly competitive team. And so you have a – I think it's a Sunday afternoon game at the Garden against, you said, the 72-win Bulls. And not only do you win, you drilled them. I mean, you, you, you absolutely drilled them. Jeff, when you're walking out into the tunnel that day, you're thinking, like, am I ever – am I going to be the first winless coach in Knicks <laughs> history? Like, like, will I make it through the week? Listen, if we would have played Philly again, I shouldn't have. But, but no, you know what's interesting? We had a practice that Saturday. So we lose in Philly, we bust back, and we have a, like a practice, wasn't long, probably an hour and a half, two hours, whatever it was. But like, Probably like four hours. No, not <laughs> Maybe some days, but not that day. Um, but like – when you don't have to provide motivation, like I, I had Patrick and Harper and Star, I mean, these guys, they were going to be ready to play. Like the only motivation that lasts in athletics is self-motivation. We had self-motivated guys. So in that game, we went up and then the Bulls caught us 
and, and went ahead. And I'll never forget Patrick had a, a like a left-handed dunk in front of our bench. And then we had this three-point barrage in the second half. Charlie Ward, Hubert Davis, John Starks, they all made a ton of threes. Harper had a, like three or four in the third quarter. And I still remember after the game the next day, Jordan talked about the heart of the Nick team. And I was always appreciative that even though some on his team didn't recognize our guys for their greatness and their intensity and passion, he did. Pat, when Don Nelson takes over and he's, it's a very different style than to say the least than Pat Riley. And he's maybe going to try to play through Mace more and you bring Jeff back in as head coach and to you, did it represent to you like let's get back to the to the identity of this team and how we play and how we compete? What what did Jeff coming in at that time mean to your group and, and the mindset and, and how that group wanted to play or thought and you thought it was best to play? Uh, you know, um not to take anything away from Coach Nelson. You know, he's a great coach, he's a Hall of Fame coach, he's done a lot of great things in the NBA, but his mindset of, of the way that things were were a lot different than the way that we thought. He wanted to play through Anthony, and Anthony was a very good player. You know, he's a, a point forward as one of the terms that he used to use. But our team was built a lot differently. The way that with Czech, Dave Checkis and Ernie and Pat, they built the team a lot differently than the way that he wanted to play. So when Jeff took over and we went back to the, the way that we, we were all used to playing, it was like, you know, Moses part in the Red Sea. Uh <laughs> Or, or, you know, Lincoln freeing the slaves. Uh, uh, we, were, we were able to get, we were free again, getting, getting back to do the things that we, we, were, we were normally, uh, we were accustomed to doing. And, you know, we were very happy that, you know, I know I was very happy that Jeff got the job. You know, he's, he's worked his way, you know, he stood the test of time. And uh, his knowledge, his work ethic was something that, you know, the job was, was his. And, you know, like you said, we were already motivated. We were already uh, a talented team. And we, we, we had a goal, which was to try to win a championship. And even though we got there in, in 94 and it didn't happen, we still wanted to – we still believed that we had a chance or an opportunity to, to win one. Adrian, I think what can't be overlooked is not everyone is as fortunate as myself. When you're an interim coach, to take over, first of all, uh, a talented roster – a Hall of Fame player, but also a team that respected the position of the head coach. They may not have always liked every decision any head coach made, but they respected the position. There was no subterfuge. There was no going to the president or the general manager behind your back. There was no agents calling, you know, to beg for more playing time. You don't get that a lot um, when you first take over and you're a young head coach. Think of all the advantages I had. And you look back and you're talking about the Bulls. Frankly, what the Bulls had. Like, think about if you're Phil Jackson, you get to take over Michael Jordan in his prime. You don't get that very often as a first-time head coach. So I I was really, really fortunate and uh, grateful to those guys because certainly – I made so many mistakes in those first 23 games of that season that I was thankful, A, they're good enough to overcome them, and B, to overlook them and still 
maintain a sense of loyalty to the position of the head coach? Well, the loyalty was, was earned. You know, like I said, he, he worked his way up the ranks. He came in as a, what it was the third or fourth assistant and he stood the test of time with his hard work, with his, you know, he didn't get those. His, he, he still, he still even have some of those bags on his eyes right now, and everybody's working, working from home. But the, the hard work that he that he put in, we were able to see it. We watched it. We watched him the growth. So we definitely believed in what uh, what he was going to tell us or what he was saying. And you know, like I said, when you have belief in your head, man, you're gonna go out there and try to run, you know, run through a bus or or try to stop a bus for it. Jeff, you there came a point early on where you were not. I think Phil Jackson liked to take shots at you. He'd like to tweak everybody, but you were for him. I think an easy target. The Knicks, you know, he had played for the Knicks. You were the Knicks coach now, and there comes a point where you take that job over, and you're thinking about competitive advantage whether it's in the media, whether it's with officials, you get into a playoff series, you can't be – you're not Pat Riley. You're not going to try to be Pat Riley. You're going to be yourself. And you talked about in those times of guys were going to answer back. You were going to say things to make sure that whether it was to bring things to light, whether it was to answer back. What was that a process, that adjustment like for you to have to decide where you would pick your spots and go back at him or – go after officials when many of them didn't know who you were. You were an anonymous assistant coach, and now you have to, you've to. you got to step into that seat. How much time do you have to spend thinking about, how do I attack this? Well, you're right. It, you, just, you have to get comfortable in your own skin uh, as a head coach. I think Patrick probably went through that at Georgetown. You know, you can coach in summer league, which I did for the Knicks, and I was a high school coach for a year, but it's so different. You know, are you going to stand or sit? Are you going to go after officials or concentrate on your team? And you've got to figure out how you're going to do it. I remember one year I was uh, when I was working for Coach Riley, an official went back at Pat after Pat had said something, and I then jumped in and said something to the official, and it was Derek Stafford, and he gave me a technical foul. He walked to the scores table and goes, technical foul on Coach What's his name? I don't know who, what his name is. <laughs> and back then, you know, it was, it was interesting. So when you're talking about the Bulls, you've got to try to weigh what's right for your team and your situation while remaining true to yourself. And sometimes I, I was happy with what I did in that manner, and other times I screwed up. So it's just you try your best, and, uh, but you have to try to find your own voice. Patrick, did Jeff uh, practice his con man speech on you before he went out and did it to the media and, and set Michael off? Was that one he ran past you or you just picked up the paper and saw what he had said? He, he's not going to tell us all that stuff. He just went out and do it, did it himself. I mean, he knows what he's doing. Uh, he's a smart, you know, one of the smartest coach I've ever played for or, or worked for. So he knew every, exactly what he was trying to do. This was January 96. There was a Bulls-Knicks game coming up. And I went back and watched the tape of Jeff answering the – I don't even know if you answered a question, Jeff. I think you just shared that thought. It seemed like it was on your mind. And you sort of had this look on your face like you said it, and you were kind of looking around a little bit to see if there was a reaction to it. But clearly the theme of it was that Michael softens up competitors – by befriending them, 
making him think they're friends. And then he's an assassin on the court. And um, that's an advantage Michael's trying to gain over the rest of the league. That, that was the crux of it, right, Jeff? Yep. And I stand by it 30 years <laughs> later. <laughs> and, and the thing is, is like, it was more of a uh, challenge. It wasn't going at Jordan as much as going at our team, right? So he didn't take it that way, obviously. So, um, But I was saying this to somebody uh, the other day. So I say con man, right? And I think he had 51, and they beat us by one in Chicago that day. And as we walked off the court, you had to cross back at the stadium. And I was trying to, like, go out wide, and then he would go out wide and – you know, he got his words in. But the best part of the story was we went to Indiana. So the next day we had a day off, then we were playing a really good pacer team. And I go to uh, the food court by this hotel. And it's one of the few times the entire Nick team was there. And I get my stuff. I don't go over and bother him. I sit away and Starks walks over to me and says, hey, listen, if you're going to go at anybody, please don't have it be my guy. <laughs> right? So can you go at somebody else? And rightfully, they called me out because while I thought I was doing what was right, it may have cost us in that game. But the funny postscript is we play Indiana the next night. So before the game, an old official named Mike Mathis, who I love, he's standing in front of me. He goes, I see you're taking some huh? And I said, yeah, yeah. He goes, hey, don't worry about your players as much. Worry about the officials because he softens us up too. And I'll never forget him saying that because that playoff series that year, later that year, we played him in a playoff series. We're in the middle of a game in Chicago, four minutes to go, tough game. Jordan's cursing out this ref at F Rush. And after he gets done cursing him out, no technical right in front of me, at F Rush says, can I get your shoes? Michael, can I get your shoes after the game? I'm like, what is going on here? When you guys are just home and an old an old Bulls game might come on TV, it could be Bulls Pacers, Bulls Pistons, Bulls whoever, and you sit and watch for a little while. Who watches? I don't know. <laughs> do, do you? No. No? No. Listen, I think I shared this with somebody. Somebody said, hey, What's your most joyous memory of Michael Jordan? I'm saying joy. What are you talking about joy? <laughs> like there was no joy. The greatest single performance I ever saw, though, from an NBA player when I was live was Jordan coming back off two years of baseball. He's back playing basketball for 10 days, going up against the best defensive team in basketball, and he gets 55 at the Garden. I've never seen anything like that in my life. Now, do I need to relive it again? No, I don't. <laughs> You know, so this whole last dance, you know, like, hey, last dance, I don't have to watch it. Patrick and I lived it. That's far different from having to watch it again. I, hey, that's going to be for other people. Perfect. That's a that's a perfect place to finish up. Uh, Patrick, Jeff, I appreciate you guys doing this. It was a lot of fun. Good to see you. The podcast audience can't see you, but I've been able to see you guys here for the last hour. And great to see you guys. Uh, stay safe and, and uh Hopefully, I'll see both you guys in the gym here sooner than later. Yes, we're hoping for that. I'm tired of staying at home. Uh, this staying at home is, is driving me crazy, but everyone has to be safe. Yeah, thank you, and go Hoyas. Yay. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guest today, Patrick Ewing, 
and Jeff Van Gundy. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your pods. We'll be back soon. Stay safe out there. Take care.